Hear God's word. Praise you, the Lord. Praise, O ye servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun and to the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high, who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust, and lifteth the needy out of the dunghill, that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house, and to be a joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. The Lord exalts the humble. We know there are scriptures that speak about that, and they also usually are prefaced with, he humbles the proud and exalts the humble. The first point I'd have you consider in, in our look at this psalm is this, that we are to praise God for his surpassing greatness and magnificence. This is something that is noted in the very first verse. Praise the Lord. Praise all you servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Very redundant, wouldn't you say? But for good cause. Spurgeon once said, Praise the name of the Lord. Extol his revealed character. Magnify every sacred attribute. Exalt in all his doings. And reverence the very name by which he is called. What do we praise him with? Our lips. As the writer of Hebrews says, By him, therefore, let us offer up the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the truth of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. The writer of the psalm goes on in verse 2, Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Blessed can be defined as to kneel down to adore from within. What do we kneel before and with? Our knees. Have you ever kneeled before in prayer? There was a time when, when another former religion we did a lot of kneeling. It's called genuflecting. Or sometimes you would have extended prayer where we would kneel on a cushion that was put down for us to kneel with both of our knees. But I believe that the one who's writing here, although they, they may have done that as a congregation, is speaking naturally, kneeling before God. Like when you were overwhelmed from within, with God's love and care for you as his child, bought by the blood of Christ. Let's read together Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, 14 through 19, shall we? (laughs) 
actually it's not four, it's three. Chapter three. Verse 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you may be filled with the love of God, with the fullness of God. Sorry. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. You notice he says specifically how he kneels. And that is not just in his heart, although that's fine and well, and in fact that's where it should start, according to the Apostle's testimony. But could there be something to our kneeling down in worship as the saints also even stood up in praise? Lord God. How often do we praise him? It says back in Psalm 113, verse 3, from the rising of the sun unto the going down of the same, the Lord's name is to be praised. Like that saying in the scriptures, pray without ceasing. How about praising without ceasing? And why? Verse 4, because the Lord is high above all nations. And his glory above the heavens. Even as we sit here. And even as people go about their business. And people do the things that they do. Legally or illegally. He reigns. It says in the book of Acts chapter 17. He hath made of one blood all nations of men. For to dwell on all the face of the earth. And hath determined the times before appointed. And the bounds of their habitation. So everything has been predetermined, whether you believe in election and predestination or not, the Bible says that that is the truth and that we are creatures of the Creator. And don't forget, the King James is right, for example, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, when it says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Could it be that that what they had in mind was not only to be accurate in their translation from the original language, but in their conveying the truth, the theology of our creaturehood, and that we are like everything else, just here for a short time. In Isaiah 40, he, the writer, Isaiah, Testifies, all nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. And if that's the nations, if that's the United States and China and Russia, and you can name all of the countries of the world, 
And maybe some of you have, have, have those names, you young, younger people that have studied geography and political science. What about men? The inhabitants, Isaiah goes on to say, are as grasshoppers. Have you ever seen a grasshopper or a cricket? That bringeth the princess to nothing. The, the, the princess over the, the people. He will bring them to nothing. And the judges of the earth are vanity. Meaning like vapor. Like air. Who is like unto the Lord our God who dwelleth on high? He concludes in verse 5. And the answer of course is no one. That's what they call a rhetorical question. It doesn't, just, it doesn't require an answer, although you can give one. And I did. Whatever the movers and the shakers of this world may try to do or do, whatever they accomplish, God is still on the throne. You can be sure of that. As that, that Christian song, kingdoms may rise and kingdoms may fall, Kingdoms may refuse to hear his call, the call of the gospel, but the word of the Lord endureth forevermore. And this is the word which by the gospel is being preached unto you now for your hearing, for your encouragement, for your uplifting, for your blessing. The other point, the second, praise God for his condescending goodness and mercy. His condescending. He is high and lifted up in heaven, but he's also condescending. How? How, how, how does God do that, according to our, our verse, our, our, uh, our psalm, verse 6, Psalm 113, verse 6. Who humbleth himself to behold the things that are in heaven and in the earth. It's well enough that he surveys heaven and makes sure that things are going according to the way that he desires as he is in August rain over it, but also over the earth. Behold only, meaning look only, survey only. He goes on, seven, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust. That's an action. That's an action, for example, like what I prayed that God would do in helping to curb what is happening now with regard to this viral infection that is spreading. That is an action like we pray for certain ones to del be delivered from health issues and from even death. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust. The poor who have nothing. I don't know about you, but I've noticed that there are more poor people around these days. Of course, like also the communication with you know, other people in other places, other churches, other pastors, and so I hear about what's going on in other places in the world, and particularly, of course, in the Philippines, as I've noted. And I, and I see this action taking place, how he raises up the poor out of the dust. When, for example, and I just throw this out very quickly, when people responded to these disasters back in November in the Philippines. I mean, it's incredible. Even to this day, there's money that comes in, and our treasure can attest to that. 
how good God is, and lifting up the needy out of the dunghill. Dunghill is whatever the dunghill is, and it's like a garbage heap or dump. Okay, that's essentially what the dunghill is. That's not a place to be, never mind to live. And yet, God is able to lift the needy out of that and to put them in nicer, commodious circumstances that are more fitting to good health and to a good life. That he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people, like Moses, for example, if you recall Moses, who was a Hebrew child, who was due for execution, as all the Hebrew boys were at one point in the history of redemption, and, and when the people of God were in Egypt. And it says in Hebrews 11, you can look it up later in verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was in line for the throne, even adopted as he was. And yet he made this qualitative choice sometime in his, in his adult life when he became of age to make that decision not to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What did he throw away? You know, we think, what did he give up? And what did he give up that for? That's the big one. Because it goes on to say he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season because he knows that for him to live in the palace would be to live in the midst of enticements, in the midst of temptation, in the midst of pleasures, that his heart, because it was converted to the Messiah, would not commit. He was willing to shut that TV off, to turn that internet off, or to change the channel at least, and not to be tempted or lured away from his God. Because he goes on to say, esteeming the reproach of Christ, being Christian, there is reproach, by the way, and that means that people don't like you for, for your uh, association. They don't like you for who you call your God, for you, who you uh, uh, affiliate yourself with, to whom your allegiance is, even the captain of your salvation, even the Lord of glory, even Jesus Christ, our Lord. He counted that greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. Is that how you and I regard the things of this life? Or are we like the rich young ruler who, when we grieve because he had many possessions, I don't have many possessions, but I could still go away grieved if my heart is set on them and not on the Lord. If I'm trying to serve God and man in both as a professing Christian, and not Christ alone, and not God alone. And so he had his priorities right. And it goes on to say that he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. He knew what was ahead. He knew of the reward, as it were, for his service to Christ. And the Lord promises that, although we don't really deserve that, but because of Christ. Behold only, in verse 9 of Psalm 113, he maketh the barren woman 
to keep house. You think, well, that's fine. Maybe she was sick and couldn't keep house. No, this is the reason why. And to be a joyful mother of children. Because when you're a joyful mother of children, you have to keep house. You have to teach your children. Maybe you don't homeschool, but you have to be there for your children. And so, praise God. To give you an example, in 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 20. 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 through 20. I know this is a long one, but I think it bears our refreshing. 1 Samuel chapter 1, 1 through 20. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Sorry about that. Now there was a certain man of uh, Ramathaim Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship, and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters, portions. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? And not I better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul, and prayed unto the Lord, and wept sore. And she bowed a vow, and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spoke in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy, thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. 
Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord, and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass, when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived, that she bare a son, and called his name Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. Is that a wonderful story? Is that a wonderful example about how the Lord answers prayer? How the Lord makes the barren woman to eat house and to be a joyful mother of many children, even of one? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Lord doesn't forget. The Lord remembers his promises. But what is the greatest expression of God's condescending goodness and mercy of all? It is in his sending his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's turn to Philippians 2, which we actually read earlier, but we'll consider again. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. So that we might see how God expresses his mercy and his compassion in this condescending or sending of Jesus Christ into the world. It says, beginning at verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and what that means is that he was in the same, with the same nature and being and essence as God. That's what the form of God is about. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Well, why would he? Why would it be robbery as it all belongs to him anyway? You know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes and mine, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. That's the reason why but made himself of no reputation. This was a decision on his part to do. And took upon him the form or the nature of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he was the God man, he humbled himself. And then, wonders of wonders, he became obedient unto death. 
through his active and passive obedience, he went to the cross to die a sin for the sins of his people. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and hath given him a name which is above every name. Remember our, our topic? God exalts the humble. God exalted his son who humbled himself unto the obedience of the cross in due time and is raising him back to life from the dead. And then later, after many days, bringing him back to his glory to be at his right hand. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That every knee should bow and every tongue should, uh, uh, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. This psalm, by the way, and others in this particular unit uh, from 113 to 118 are traditionally linked with the Jewish worship of the Passover and tabernacles that follows. And they're called what's known as the Halil, where we get the word hallelujah, or praise to God. A writer of uh, Hebrew background, uh, Alfred Edersheim, tells us that the Talmud dwells on the peculiar suitableness of the Halil, or praising God, with the Passover meal. The Passover meal is what they celebrate every year to commemorate when the angel of death came over their households where their doorpost and their lintel was covered with blood as instructed by Moses from the Lord. And so when they saw the blood, the angels would pass over and not kill the firstborn in their homes. And of course, in the homes where there is not that, covering of blood, the firstborn would be taken from those households. And so, this is what that was all about, the Passover. And my praise is so appropriate for the occasion of the celebration of the Passover. He goes on to say, since it not only recorded the goodness of God toward Israel, but especially their deliverance from Egypt that followed and therefore appropriately opened with praise ye the Yahweh, or the Lord. Praise, O ye servant of the Yahweh. Passover is fulfilled in the Lord's Supper, which we commemorated last Sunday. Jesus said in one place in one of the Gospels, in Mark, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. In another place, in Mark, also, it records after they had the Lord's Supper, and when they had sung a hymn, in other words, praise, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Because shortly after the supper, the Halils that went before and the Halils that went after, and there would be both throughout that occasion. It was a celebration, and that's why we call it that, the Lord's Supper. Jesus would bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness by his stripes. 
you're healed. And so Christians should praise God. The Lord's Supper, as we commemorate it particularly, is a time of rejoicing in the Lord. Because we are that chosen generation, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, that peculiar people, that we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness in his marvelous light. And so finally, how do we apply this to ourselves? Well, we do so by remembering what this psalm is all about, and that is praise to our God. Praise you, the Lord. Praise all you servants of the Lord, formerly servants of sin, formerly servants of Satan, and now servants of Christ and of God, and servants of righteousness. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth, even forevermore. That's what we should do. But before we do that, let us again look at the first part of that passage in Philippians that we read earlier as a congregation from verses 1 through 5, Philippians 2, 1 through 5, shall we? If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Shall we pray? O Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord Jesus, we also praise and glorify you, for you are truly to be exalted as our Lord and as our Savior, as our mediator, as our prophet and our priest and our king, as the one who saved us with a mighty salvation from so great a death as hell. We are thankful now that we can praise you with our lips and from our hearts. And do do so with understanding 